All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Continue on. Morning Monday. Morning time for Oilers fans as the playoffs came to a screeching halt on the weekend. You went into the weekend with lots of excitement. Hey, you know what? Orders could win in six. Ah, you know, maybe they'll go seven. And boom, they are out in six games. It's the Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Well, what the odds would have been on uh, a Vegas sweep on the weekend? Curious. Well, they got it, and now they move on, and they will find out who they play tonight as Dallas and Seattle will play in game seven in Dallas. You can always get involved in the show. You can text us at 10-12-60, email us in our Jiffy Lube inbox. Uh, we did get a correct answer. It was Miro Heshkinen, who had 26 points in uh, the 20 bubble. 26 points in 27 games as a member of the Dallas Stars. The uh, highest points per game, other than uh, Makar, for guys who played at least 15 games. Evan Bouchard this year, 1.4. Well, he only played 12, sorry, 10 games. 1.42 for Bouchard. Uh, Adam Fox had 1.15. So uh, quite the postseason for uh, Evan Bouchard uh, offensively. Uh, you know, got a lot of it. got 15 of his points at, uh, on the power play. Uh, like like most of the players on the Edmonton Orders, there were uh, some struggles five on five, and ultimately that's that's an area of their team that they're just gonna it's going to have to improve. For next season, no question about it. As we get to the Rashad Report, brought to you by Next Gen Transportation, heavy haul transport provider, 100% locally owned and operated. 
and proud partner of numerous youth sports teams. It's nextgentransportation.com. Ryan Rashog joins us. And, uh, Shogger, you and I were talking about in the press box last night. I, w- I was very perplexed by the line matching of, uh, of Jay Woodcroft. That uh, you know, He was like, McLeod's going up against Carlson. I'm keeping McDavid against him. And they're like, okay. But then he also kept McDavid again- away from Eichel, and that was the line that was killing the orders. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, I, I don't think it's what cost them the game. I mean, the Oilers needed to play better in the second period, and they'd had a better chance to win that game. So on the list of, like, what went wrong last night, you know, there's a few things that are in front of this, but it's what you started with, so let's go there. On a day where Connor McDavid had said, we're going to play our best game of the series, um, you know, it felt to me like one of those days where McDavid, you know, might just come out like gangbusters, right? Just might have one of those one periods for the ages because that's what he's capable of. But he never got a chance because he played five minutes and 21 seconds. They didn't stand him on the blue line during the song. They didn't put him on at any commercial breaks in when, he was, when he was rested. They just kind of let Vegas dictate when they used the sharpest weapon in the game. And I just, I don't love that approach to a game that was that important. I think it should have been a lot more McDavid in the early going of that game. And, and it continued, really. It continued, you know, through the second period, too, where Drysaddle got eaten up by the Eichel line. So I just think that, you know, Jay Woodcroft maybe got a little bit too fancy with trying to figure out the matchup game rather than just, you know, letting McDavid go, winding him up, letting him go and seeing what he might have been, been able to do. Because I just think... Five minutes and 21 seconds with a season on the line for McDavid. And it continued right through. Like the third period, when, when they were waiting to start the third period, McDavid's line was on the ice. And Cassidy threw his line out, and Woodcroft pulled McDavid's line off the ice to start the third period. I just think when you have Connor McDavid, you, you, that guy can play through anybody. And I think in a game like that, you have to let, give him the chance to play through anybody. So just overthinking it a little bit on that front. But again, there were lots of other reasons why they didn't win, and I don't think that's near the top of the list. But it's definitely one that's notable. So it's one thing to talk about the forwards. Let's touch on the D. You know, Nurse and CeCe kind of had a tough night with uh, Eichel as well. If not that pairing, what pairing would you have put against that grouping of forwards? Yeah, I mean... Well, they did all the damage, right? And so I understand why they wanted Nurse and CeCe. I mean, that's kind of what they're supposed to be about. Um, the problem is you want you want your puck mover in Bouchard out there with the McDavid line, right? So if you want to go head-to-head McDavid with Eichel and say, have at it, go, um, you know, then you're, you know, by extension, you're playing the, the Bouchard against that line quite a bit too. And I think they would feel like from a defensive standpoint, Bouchard and Nurse might be more stout, than, or sorry, Nurse and CeCe might be more stout defensively than Ekholm and Bouchard. But, I mean, Bouchard played a ton, and I, I, he, he was on it. And I think they probably would have been okay giving that a go. Um, more than anything, you know, uh, they needed to defend better in and around their own net, no matter who was on the ice. They needed to do a better job as a group of being harder around their own net and making life difficult. I mean, Vegas got flat-out freebies. When you're tapping pucks into the net in the crease area and no one's even getting a stick on you, now there's problems. 
Well, yeah, it's it's interesting about that. The third goal, the point shot, when it goes up off his shoulder, um, you're kind of wondering, you know, what's going on there? Uh, who's around him? You know, Skinner even said he goes, usually he just puts that puck into the uh, into the, the met mesh behind him, and away you go. So now you look ahead. It's it's very early, but hey, um, we'll have fun. Uh, Frank Valley reporting. He's hearing that the you know there's a good chance you could see Steve Steos uh, yeah, promoted to to general manager, and uh, Ken Holland obviously would stay on as a mentor and, and maintain his presence of hockey operations. Uh, Frank what do you said make it was, he thought it was likely on your podcast today, I think was the word he used. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, listen, uh, I'm not here to refute any of Frank's reporting. Like, Frank's plugged in, and, and he's, he's a heck of a good reporter, so I'm not going to sit here and say, no, 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 or anything like that. Um, this is my read on the situation. I would be surprised if Ken Holland took his hands off the wheel after the way this ended this year. I would be surprised if he took a step back. He signed a five-year deal, and I think he wanted to win a cup, and I think he still does. And I think I would be surprised if he took a step back from the general manager's role. He had a hell of a good deadline, and he was a decision maker. I think if you're the brain trust of the Oilers, are you worried about potentially losing Steve Stales? Yes. I think you definitely are. So I think getting creative to figure out how to keep Steve Stales in the organization is important. But I might submit to you that the Oilers don't want Ken Holland to take a step back from the general manager's role. That if you're the owner and, and if you're Bob Nicholson and company, you're looking at the way Ken Holland ran things this year and the team that he pieced together, and you're saying, no, oh, no, we need him to stay the guy and the decision maker. And so I, I'd be surprised if Holland stepped back and took his hands off the wheel. But I completely agree with Frank's assertion that they need to be aggressive in protecting Steve Stales as an asset and a potential future general manager. So the reporting makes complete sense. I'm just not sure Holland would be ready to take that step. Now, what if it's the the GM in name, but Holland's still the guy, and it's like a GM on-the-job training for a year? Yeah, I mean... Steve Stales is either ready to be a GM or he's not. Like, you're going to give him the job with training wheels? I just don't think. I think think if you want to put a succession plan in place that doesn't involve the next guy having his hands on the wheel this upcoming season, right, then you just kind of, you figure it out and you do it behind the scenes. Like, if you want to have a conversation, if, if the Oilers decide that Steve Stales is their next general manager, and they want to do a deal with him where they say, listen, after next season, this thing is yours. You will be the guy. And then they explore having Ken Holland stay on, uh, you know, in, the, in president of hockey ops. Who knows whether he would want to or not. But you organize that in a way where that can be a smooth transition into next year. But I don't think you kind of half-ass give him the job and Ken half-ass steps away. And it's now who's in charge and who's the final decision and who's the... Like, when Steve Stales is ready to be named a GM, he'll be named a GM, and it'll be like, you are the guy, right? And here's your president of hockey operations. So I think the organization can probably figure out a way to safeguard his employment there with a succession plan that he, where he understands the vision, right? And I don't know that you need to punt Ken Holland from the GM position this upcoming season in order to have that succession plan in place and an understanding of it. The other thing I'll say about the orders, man, they got a lot of people with voices there. There are people, I mean, you got the owner, you got Bob Nicholson, you know, you got Ken Holland in deciding what he wants to do. Paul Coffey is very much part of it as well. 
Um, there's a lot of voices in there. So the idea that the decision is already made and it's fait accompli, I, I, I'm not sure about that idea, but I understand the logic. Joined by uh, Ryan Rashock talking all things NHL and specifically the Oilers right now as they lost out in the second round to Las Vegas or Vegas Gold Knights, depending on what you want to call it. I said earlier that I believe this owner, or the sorry, the, the the coaching staff, and then along with whatever voices, the manager and stuff, they've got to figure out which part of the game they have to improve, then work backwards. Say, okay, which players are not going to help us in that situation, and which you know, then what do we have to do to bring people up to speed in those areas, or to bring guys in that can do it? And I'm not saying that's it's retooling the whole team, but. If, you know, with that logic, which area of the game do the Oilers need to improve the most next year to be more comfortable uh, as they move deeper into the into the playoffs? Well, I think I think their ability to defend at a high level in the top four needs an upgrade, right? So you know, you can circle Cody CC and say if they can upgrade that position. You're going to have natural development with Evan Bouchard. Ekholm, hopefully he comes back and is similar in quality to what they got him at the deadline for here. Nurse is nurse. And I think they need an upgrade in that, in that spot there where CC is. So if you can find yourself a top four right shot guy, um, I don't see it coming internally. I think that Dearnay is what he is. Um, and so that would be a position I would circle and say for the Oilers to be more stout defensively and be able to, to defend at a Stanley Cup level, I think you need to upgrade that position there. And then you'll have some internal developments. Uh, you know, it's going to be difficult. You're going to need guys on entry level. So they need to commit. Like like Dylan Holloway, you know, Dylan, it was, this was a bit of a waste for Dylan Holloway this year. He was not usable in the playoffs. And when they weren't using him much during the regular season, we were consistently scratching our heads saying they're not going to have an answer on this player by the playoffs if they keep this up. He's not getting the experience in the American League. He's not getting the minutes in the in building trust in the NHL. And he ended up completely in no man's land. And that's where we saw it heading. So I think a little bit of a commitment to, to developing these guys um, so that maybe, you know, you have room for an upgrade because you've got some entry-level guys on your, on, your, on your deal, on your salary cap. Shogger, uh, quickly, Nick Bukestad, Derek Ryan, Matias Janmark, Clem Costa. Now, he's an RFA, but the other three are UFAs. How many yeah. of those four do you think are back next season? I think you try and get Bukestad back. Um, I think you try and get Costin back. Um, I mean, Devin Shore is going to want to test the water somewhere else. And this coaching staff clearly, you know, wasn't going to use him and didn't trust him that much. So I think he looks to move on. I think Matthias Janmark, you know, I think the coach trusted him, and if there's a good relationship there, maybe. But at the same time, I know he wasn't happy with the way things played out this year, and he may want to go somewhere where he has a little bit more of a guaranteed scenario for himself that might be available here. Ryan is an interesting one, though, right? He's 36. And, uh, you know, we would need the, the full update from Baco. Is there somebody ready to step into that spot? Um, well, the only option I was told is Raphael Lavoie, and it's not a lock, but he would be the as a right heard winger. There were some good steps, some good. Yeah, steps he's, yeah he, he was their best player in the, in the second half. Yeah. He recovered from his knee injury. He was their best player, and yeah. so I, I think he's the one option there. So I think, but that, he wouldn't be uh, taking. He wouldn't be penalty killing or anything as a rookie. Yeah, yeah. I think Ryan McLeod's development 
might put you in a position where Derek Ryan's utility you can maybe move on from because I think there'll be regression there with Ryan. He's going to be 37. Um, I think Ryan McLeod showed some good stuff in these playoffs, and I think uh, he's a great skater. That's not going anywhere. Adept in the face-off circle. Um, there are areas of his game that need to improve, but I think I think you absolutely can lean on him as a third-line center heading into next season after this playoff performance. And then maybe you can look internally for a fourth-line center to see if you've got that, and now you're saving money on the cap, right? Well, would so, Bukestad be your fourth-line center? Absolutely, if you can get him back, right? So, so McLeod and Bukestad are, you know, as 3-4. If you can get him done, then there it is. And then you you, you got Lavoie maybe on the right side. I like Costin, though. I think Costin was a good pickup. I think he's a fan favorite. I think, you know, as long as the deal is a minimal deal, I think he's a useful player uh, that you want to bring back. It's unfortunate he wasn't used much in this series. Like, he, he, he made some mistakes and basically... You know, was an afterthought on the bench, which isn't ideal, and makes me think maybe uh, a player with a little more skill might be over to overtake him. Um, but that would come internally, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I wonder. At times, it seemed the coach like it was obvious who he trusted and who he didn't, just based on TOI. For sure, for sure. But I mean, Costin. Yeah, Costin, but it was funny, it was like a bad penalty here or there, or you know, we yeah, have turnovers. I'll, yep. Yeah, like I'm going to say this. So I look at Nick Bukestad and I look at Clem Costin and I look at their production, just straight out production, and then I look at minutes played compared to them and Yamamoto, and it didn't seem that Yamamoto didn't matter what he did, he was going to get to play under Jay Woodcroft and Clem Costin, no matter what he did, and even Nick Bukestad barely got played in the third period. Those guys weren't going to play, and I just found that interesting. Yeah, Dylan Holloway needs to take Kyle Yamamoto's spot in the top six. Like, that needs to happen by the end of next season. Right? That, that needs to be the trajectory that that player is on. Get him in, get him playing, commit to playing him more than six, seven, eight minutes a night. He needs to play. And it's unfortunate the way his year went this year. He spent a lot of weeks and weeks and weeks traveling with the team, Playing, not playing, six minutes, eight minutes, nine minutes. They lost him this year. They didn't accomplish what they needed to this year, which was to either have him knock it out of the park in the American League and be ripe as could be, or play in a top-nine role, commit to him playing in a top-nine role. They left him hanging out in no-man's land. And as a result, he wasn't usable in the playoffs, didn't get the experience in the American League or the confidence offensively. And I'm sure he'll be fine. He's a good prospect. Evan Bouchard had a similar year a couple of years ago during the bubble year. But they can't have a second year like that with, with Holloway. Um, they need him to step in and be a top nine forward for them. And all he needs to be is a top nine forward. And that top six is good enough. You can play a top nine forward in it and be okay. Right now it's Yamamoto. They need an upgrade on that. Do you need to find a room to put uh, Broberg a spot every night? Yeah, well, it's crowded. I mean, it's crowded. And, and I think to get Bouchard done, they might have to move on uh, from Kulak or CeCe if they can. Um, like, I don't know how you play Broberg regularly, uh, you know, if you believe in Darnay, and I think they do. I'm not sure how Kulak fits next year. 
Well, you have to be pretty confident in Broberg to get rid of Kulak because that could be disastrous. If you like, I'm not sold that Broberg's ready. He didn't. He didn't look great to me. I wasn't hugely sold on him. Now, hey, you know what? Young guy, can he get stronger in the offseason? 100. percent Maybe not playing regularly played a part in it for sure. But that's going. The organization's going to have to be pretty confident that okay, you know what? We feel Broberg can can fill that hole because Brett Kulak, from start to finish, might have been their most consistent blue liner all year. Uh. Yeah, yeah, I would say, yeah, because obviously Bouchard didn't, have, you know, Bouchard didn't pick it up till after the trade deadline. Yeah, I think Kulak had a decent year, and I and I like him. I think he's usable. He's been really good in both playoffs. So you want yes. that player? Hundred like, percent. So what are you doing then? So you got Nurse Ekholm and Kulak. Okay, you're set on the left side, and it's way too expensive. Way too expensive. Right? Was that like eighteen plus million on your left side? Um, something's got to give because you got Broberg sitting there. And you like DRNA because he brings that different style. So, okay. Yeah, but if it's 18 or 16, is it really that big of a difference? Well, no, it's not. But I, I, I guess, I don't know. Do you just flip DRNA and Broberg in and out on the right side on the third pairing, and that's how you get them both minutes? Do you share that spot between the two of them? I don't know. Maybe Broberg and CC in a package deal to get a better right pair uh, defenseman. Just the- uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit more for need on, you know, side to side. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I they're ready to cut bait on Broberg yet. I, I do think they believe in the player. I think a similar thing happened with Broberg this year where he was, you know. Yeah, didn't get to play a ton. I agree. Like, Philip Broberg needed to play with, like, a really strong veteran defenseman all year to help, you know, to help shepherd him into the league, right? Yeah. He didn't get that. He didn't get his year with Duncan Keith. Right? Well, so, maybe next year to start the season, you play uh, um, Bouchard and Ekholm. You play DeHarnay and Nurse, and you play Cece and Broberg. Yeah, Cece and Broberg is your third pairing, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's asking DeHarnay to take a pretty big stab. I thought he was really good from Game 2 to Game 6 in this series. Yeah, I agree. I like him. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a bad thought, right? Um. Yeah, the, yeah. This is. I mean, most of the most of this core is coming back. Like the, the, this team is going to return itself. A few different looks here and there, but I mean, they're probably not going to be able to move the dial on the goaltending, right? It, that's just going to be what it is, barring some crazy deal. I just don't see it. Uh, so they're going to bank on internal development with Skinner, um, Jack Campbell. Let's see what he does. Let it be an open competition between those two, and it should be seven point. Six is fine on the cap for two goalies as long as you've got a decent starter going. But the rest of them are coming back, man. You know, Fogel's got another year, and his number looks okay. If he if he's going to give you that in the playoffs, you can live with that during the regular season. Um, the Yamamoto one is tricky, though. That's tricky. Oh, hey, you know, we got to take a break, but uh, I do have a Yamamoto idea tomorrow on the show that might make me nice. go, hmm. So we'll talk uh. about that tomorrow. All okay. right. I'll have to okay. listen now. Great. All right. There you go. Have a great night, guys. It's Ryan Shog from uh, TSN. Quick break. Uh, we'll return it up to the Sports Eater, TSN 1260. Gregor Strudwick, Connor Halley with you. We got, um, we're going to hear from uh, Leon Dreisaitl, uh, Connor McDavid, and more on the Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. 535, Gregor Strudwick, Connor Halley with you as we get to the oil report brought to you by Volvo of Edmonton. Uh, stop in now. You're looking for a great new vehicle. They have the XC60 hybrid plug-in recharge. Available now. 
455 horsepower and 75 kilometers of pure electric ride at VolvoEdmonton.com. The uh, Oilers, disappointment to uh, say the least. Uh, you listen to uh, to Leon Dreisaitl and just to his his opening uh, words last night. Uh, he came out, he had a hoodie on, and uh, you could just hear the emotion in his voice. Yeah, it, it hurts. Um, I don't. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to find words right now. Um, obviously, you know when you start a season, you're you're in it to to win it, and, and we're at that stage. If you if you don't complete that, then um, it just feels like a, a yeah a, f- a failure or, or a wasted year almost. So um, yeah, it hurts. That guy wants to win. He wants to win, buddy. Like, it's clear. You know, like, he, you see the emotion. It was similar to what we saw with Morgan Riley after their loss. Like, they, they just, they just want to win. You know, and it, 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 and, you know, maybe he feels like he let the team down a little bit. Um, and, and on this, I'm not pointing the blame at him or pointing the finger, but I think that there's maybe a little bit of that in there too. Um, but he cares. It just shows that he cares. And I, I, you know, I for one was actually pretty impressed, Greg's. Well, I, I think, you know, Drysaddle's, he's extremely hard on himself, always has been. I think that's what drives him. Uh, you know, I've talked to him about, you know, uh, he jokingly once said, like, his dad, uh, you know what, uh, his his dad loves him and stuff, but it's just, that's how he's raised. He, uh, you know, he had a high level of expectations. And I, I think Leon, just listening to him and watching him, he felt he didn't play to his standard last night. And... You know, you could see it. He, he felt like he let his teammates down, right? That's that's what it was. It was very different than uh, than your guy Joel Embiid's post game presser. I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> Our teammates have to help us, basically. Yeah. Jeez, I couldn't believe it. Can you but, imagine? Oh. Walking back in the dressing room after, after, well, you know, Hard and I are doing our job, but we need everybody else to contribute. Like, what? Yeah. In a game where you did absolutely nothing. <laughs> I just, I had to actually read it a couple times to make sure I was understanding what he was trying to say. Like, oh, man, I, if you are a, a role player in that team, there's no way you want to go back there. Like, why am I going back? Yeah. This guy doesn't even, he thinks I'm the problem. Like, he shot 5 of 18 from the floor. And this is not a guy who's shooting. Yeah. No, he was 0 for right. 4 from three-point range. But he was 5 for 18. He shot, 20, he shot 27%. James Harden shot 20%. Tyrese Maxey, 41. P.J. Tucker, 57. <laughs> Tobias Harris, 53. Those guys are like, hey, we did our job. Where were you two? They combined for 24 points. But anyway, we're getting sidetracked. That was, uh, that was amazing uh, to me last night. But uh, you know when you when you look at Drysital and um, like, what do you think he'll learn from this, Drady? If anything, like, what do you, what do you think he takes away from this postseason? I think everyone, you know, you go through those experiences and you grow. You grow as a person. So what you know, what is what is Leon figure out? I I I think that he's gonna look at it and say I I got um, not caved in, but I took it off the chin. I was outplayed. Let's outplayed. Let's say in my own zone by Jack Eichel in a really important game. I don't think that that goes away. 
because it's very specific, right? It's, it's clear, this is what happened. Now, there's other guys on the ice, I get it. But I think for Leon, you see that, you're like, man, I just took, I just, that's what happened. And I think we know he can put points up on the board. We know all those things. But I wonder if he doesn't become the vocal leader talking about defensive play. You know, I really, I, I, as I sat back and I tried to evaluate what, what, what was missing from this team, when they needed the most, now part of it, they didn't get the stops, uh, not to put it on the goalie's lap, but they also, like, look at that first goal against, you know, Bouchard, it, it, it's your guy. That's your guy. Right, and you're not there. So, and Ekholm though, but but Ekholm, you don't want to push that puck right into the slot. You do don't, you? but yeah. no, but we're look at his toe caps. We're Bouchard's toe caps. He's facing right in the corner. He doesn't even know that Riley Smith is there. Um, mm-hmm. So right, there's but it, you know breakdowns are going to happen. But you got to be there to pick your buddy up. It's like, hey, we got gotcha. you. Like I'll, I'll I'll fix that. So I just I don't know, man. I just think I'd, I'd like to think that he becomes the kind of the the bullhorn in that dressing room saying, guys, that's not good enough anymore. Like, we want to be a top defensive, like, when I say top, you know, whatever, top, top of the group defensive team. I know they're not maybe built that way, but, you know, how many times do you kind of have to go through this to, 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 to realize that that's maybe the one piece they're missing? They definitely have to improve their five-on-five play. I don't think it has to be dynamite. Right, I still think you know their their offense is going to be one of their main attributes, but I just think they need to learn at crunch time when to shut it down. That's fair, but I, and I do, but I think that means it's it can't be it can't be come and go, right? I think it has to be a, like a staple of their of their play, and it's hard. You know, we're we're, we're talking about trying to become one of the top four or five teams in the NHL. I think they're damn close to that already. But I think the mm-hmm. piece they're missing, it's its clear to me that that's something they need to do. And thats it's not just on Leon. Like, I don't want to think it's on Leon or just CCR. It's its through the lineup. Consistent every night. We play tough defense. Um, and we're really, we're really hard in our own zone. And I, I think it's got to start, like I said, from day one of training camp. That is the message. You, 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 I think over the summer, Jay, they figure out how they're going to do it. Then you talk to your leaders. You know, you talk to a nurse. Obviously, the guys I just talked about up front and say, guys, I am going to be on you all year long. Are you on board with this? You know, and, and you know, after seeing Leon in that situation, how can you not think he's not on board of that? You know, it, to me, yeah. it's. Because what else? What else, Craig's Like power play is good. I think I would kind of lump penalty kill a little bit with the D zone. You know, I think we can kind of have them together. But their forecheck's pretty good. You know, they've got guys that can score. They're bigger. They were physical. I think physicality was something lacking. Um, you know, we can talk about the matchups a little bit. That maybe Jay, you know, Jay's going to want to change that next time. But I don't know. Like, is I, I just think, you know, just coming back with the same group and we're just going to try harder. I. I don't really know if that works. You have to have something that you a takeaway that you want to improve on. And that that's that's my takeaway. Now, you know, individually different players can work on different things, but as a group, that's the one that I cannot I just can't get past. And it's been like that for some time. Let's see, our report brought to you by Volvo of Edmonton. Uh, when we were, t- we have so many topics to get to. It's going to be a fun off season. Of course, there's a football. We got a little basketball. The Stingers are uh, getting things going uh, right away. Uh, we'll have some of those games on TSN 1260. There's also some games on uh, TSN uh, TV, as well as the CBL continues to uh, grow. Uh, NHL playoffs, the draft. Uh, what are the orders? What, what kind of off season are they going to have? What kind of trades are they going to make? They've got to be something, right? We all know it. So uh, we'll look at lots of that, and we'll come back with uh, Help Me Understand. On the Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Hi, 49. I'm the Sports Leader, TSN 12. 12- 
60. Gregor, Strudwick, Connor Howley with you. So let's get to uh, Help Me Understand, brought to you by Elite Promotional Marketing, where if you need uh, golf stuff for your golf tournament this summer, they got all the best top quality golf shirts, all the brand names, Puma, you name it, Adidas, they got them all at ElitePromoMarketing.com. I don't understand it. I don't understand it at all. I'm afraid I don't understand. Understand? Do you? I don't understand. What? Uh, help me understand. It's too technical for a layman to understand. So I understand the frustration, but you're seeing more and more videos lately, and, and maybe this has always occurred. And maybe we're just seeing it now. So I'm, I'm going to preface that by stating maybe I've always, this has always occurred. We just never s- saw it. But it seems like now almost every sporting event, you look online, there's a fight in the crowd. Last night there was one emerged, and it was Oiler fans fighting Oiler fans. I don't know what started it. It doesn't really matter to me. And, and people just stand around and they watch the lunacy, and then finally they stop it. I'm like, what's happening? Why? So help me understand, has, you've been in the crowds. Now, I've sat at order games, and I've usually if a fight breaks out, you can see it. Now, I've, I've talked to the uh, security guards over the years. People get inebriated. They always told me that Saturday night games were usually the worst, and, you know, you would, you would have a guy kicked out. But I did ask them recently if they've seen an increase from the new rink to the old rink. And without question, they say there's more. So my question is why? Help me understand why there's an increase in fan-on-fan violence in games. Sometimes it's fans fighting opposing fan bases. Evidently, if someone cheers against you, you got to stand up and honor your team. Yeah, yeah. But you got fans fighting fans of the same city. Why? Help me understand. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. What is, what is so upsetting that you have to fight a fellow fan over it i have no idea man i i I, there's a lot of things i could do and that are embarrassing at a game but fighting i don't think i'll ever do it fighting at a as i'm watching a game maybe with my wife or my kids to get into a dust-up who goes to a hockey game to watch it to get and it gets in a fight like, I just don't get it. I, you know, there's different ways to handle it. I guess I'm not in those situations, but uh, I, I'm sorry. I, I have no idea. I saw the video and I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> just, but you see it in every city. It's not just like Edmonton. No, no, no I, I'm saying it's, it's not just Edmonton, mm-hmm. but hey, guys, it's alcohol. Uh, yeah, but here's the thing. Al- like I said, I asked the security guards. Alcohol has been served at sporting venues for years. It's not like suddenly they've just, since they opened the new arena, hey, you can buy beer now. Right? There, there was always beer at games. It, it, alcohol, I don't think, is the, uh, is the reason for it. They're just, you know, maybe, it, uh, like, hey, maybe it's because everybody films everything now. I don't know. But when I ask the guys who are actually the security at games, and they say it's increased significantly from the new arena compared to the old one. And... Alcohol is actually more expensive at the uh, the new arena. Maybe there's more drinking around it, right? So you can get you kind of get a good buzz going in. Rather as the old place, there wasn't much going on around there. Hey guys, order fans were too sad during the decade of darkness to fight. <laughs> yeah, 
That answer is pretty funny, actually. <laughs> that, that actually might, uh, that might be it. So, hey guys, politics is made to believe there's only one answer. Somebody else has a different opinion. They're wrong. We have to fight. Uh, maybe. But I will say I do like the answer that Oiter fans <laughs> were too sad during the decade of darkness to fight. That might be the most unscientific answer, but it's the one I believe the most, Struddy. You think about it, people are like, well, I don't, you know what, man, our team's terrible. I don't care. I'm not going to get frustrated over this. Maybe that's it. That's a good, you know what? That's the answer to end the show. Because I like it a lot. Struddy, cons, have a great day. Who you guys got in game seven? Quick. Stars. Go Kraken. Oh, Struddy and I are in the stars. Connor is on the Kraken. We will see what happens tonight. Let's get to the uh, con, man. And the Sports Center update brought to you by MC Dispatch, same-day courier company. They'll move any size package promptly and efficiently. They also offer storage opportunities. Go to mcdispatch.com. Good night.